Quick note, this episode was recorded before the government's 5th of July announcement of financial support for venues. Hello and welcome to the OTM podcast. I'm Craig Brown. And I'm Miriam Higgins. And we are back for a second series. We've got some amazing guests lined up. And this week it's Louise Chantel, Director and CEO of the Oxford Playhouse. We are here with Louise Chantel. Hello. Hello. Hi, Louise. (laughs) Could you just tell us a bit about who you are and what you do? I'm Louise Chantal. I'm the director and chief executive of the Oxford Playhouse. And I am currently trying to save an 80-year-old institution and um, much-loved institution and the the, the jobs of 139 people (laughs) is what I'm trying to do right now. (laughs) Normally, I call myself a theatre producer. uh, At the moment, it feels more like a... Uh, magician yeah although we are we are making what's been lovely about this week is rather than cancelling something at the Oxford Playhouse we've been able to make something happen so we're we're actually making next Wednesday I will be in a theatre my own making a show happen it will be fabulous because we're going to do this big fundraiser the live stream with Stephen Fry and various other people. That's that amazing. Gonna, you know, being in a theatre, uh, it will be lovely. Unfortunately, this is this uh, podcast is going to come out after that goes live, so we're going to miss out on it. But I mean, I can't wait. I'm going to jump on and get my ticket because I really want to go. <laughs> Thank you very much. I mean, it's it's a lovely way of the the motivation for it was obviously raising money because that's what we're doing at the moment. Yeah. But it was also to to basically highlight, demonstrate the sheer idiocy of theatre without live performances. I mean, when we were told that theatres could reopen on the fourth of July, but without live performances. I, I must have made everybody who works in this industry just want to scream because that's not what we do. You know, there's a perfectly good business model for non-live performances, theatres without a pulse. It's called cinema and, and they're, far, they're far better equipped. They've got greater, much better sound systems generally. And they work on, um, you know, a very socially distanced accommodating, accommodate, you know, version of like 20% capacity of sales. Whereas the theatres like the Playhouse, we need to sell not far shy of 70% of our tickets on average in order to keep going. And that doesn't work with social distancing. It means that our capacity goes down from 630 to, if you know, in couples watching drama, about 185. So we can't do it. So, and also, you know, why would you spend 40 quid on a theatre ticket and have to sit there and wear a mask and sit in splendid isolation and walk one way and not be able to go get a drink at the bar? And mm. It's a different model and it's a different experience. I'm not saying the Oxford Playhouse won't do it because, you know, it might come that we have to. Although I think by the time we have enough shows that are available to present a season, social distancing will actually have gone because what we're finding is other theatre producers are cancelling their shows 
And we're going to have gaps in this program for much, much, you know, long, long time to come. And, and you have to think about social distancing in rehearsal rooms as well, which is incredibly difficult. And I don't know how that is going to work unless you can all rehearse in ginormous church halls or something. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Have you seen the Old Vic's Lungs? I've got a, I'm seeing it tomorrow, watching it tomorrow, oh, yeah. I should say. Yeah. I haven't seen it yet. Um, lots of people have. Apparently the sex scene's quite interesting. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to uh, look forward to that. Uh, <laughs> it's a different thing. It's a different thing, you know. Yeah. We can put monologues on if they really want us to, but I think we wait, really, yeah. if we can. The problem is we can't wait um, and keep everybody on payroll. Um, and we can't wait and lose out on 90% of our income. Yeah. Mm. It's such a staggering amount. Just thinking of it in, in those terms as well. What theatre in the UK has done, we've done all the entrepreneurial, diversifying the income streams, reducing our reliance on public funding, everything that we've everything that we've been asked to do as a cultural sector, we've done. We've we've become um self reliant and entrepreneurial. The Oxford Playhouse forty years ago or even twenty years ago would have had a subsidy rate of twenty five, thirty, thirty five percent of our turnover. We now have a subsidy rate of under ten percent. And of course I've always you know, you know, I've always felt rather smug about it. I've always gone, well, we really are very self reliant and if they pull the plugs on public funding we'll, you know, we'll cope. But of course it's people like us. It's theatres like the Ops Playhouse that have actually been devastated by this crisis because we do earn all our money through the door and if you shut them it means we're stuck and what is the playhouse doing to keep itself going in the current situation uh what emotionally or financially (laughs) (laughs) both (laughs) well we are doing two things we are planning and doing financial modeling and looking at every possible scenario of when we go back and how we go back and what we do and do we have do we have, you know, seven show weeks or do we do it completely differently? We are um, trying to raise money. And, the, I mean, the Oxford Playhouse audience has been the most it's been incredible, how generous and how supportive they are. And, you know, we, we worry about the fact that central government might not get it, but our audience get it, that this is an existential threat and that they want to see the survival of the Oxford Playhouse and all our other theatres, all our theatres. I can tell you why I know that, because over 90% of the people that we are ringing up to say your tickets, you know, your show's been cancelled, would you like a refund? Over 90% are donating to the Oxford Playhouse Plays and Campaign. Now, not all of it. They're not saying, I'm not saying everyone's giving all the money that they are holding with us to us, but they are all 90% giving a tenner or a fiver or saying, I'll have 50 quid back, but you can have 25 kind of thing. It's an extraordinary amount and an incredible illustration of how how much people want the theatres to survive. So that's what we're doing practically. And then creatively, um, we are running the Playhouse at Home programme which is a whole range of work. We've, we've moved everything online, like everybody else. So we moved all our workshops, all our, all our participation programs online and have delivered them all in full for the whole, and we'll continue to do that to the end of the summer term. 
and we're you know making plans for next next year. We are taking a break in August though, because I think we need it. But um, <laughs> yeah, I know I do. But we um, we have also we all we all went into slightly sort of RoboCop mode in the participation team, and we we've made partnerships and um, programs with a huge range of new partners like um, Age Concern and Help the Aged and the Blind Association in Oxfordshire in order to have creative programs and make things happen with new groups who are at the most risk of isolation in our in our city. You know we've, we're working with special needs young children, we're working with the aged and the blind in order to reduce loneliness and give people a creative outlet during what is a, you know, it's a really difficult time. And those parts of the community are, are, are the ones that are going to be the most at risk. So that's why we've made those new programmes happen. We've got a great, absolutely great new project just started called Tea Talks. And Tea Talks are... In association with um, Help the Aged, and it's it's a whole load of phone calls, basically. So all our participation team are calling elderly people and asking them for their stories. And we're recording the stories, and at the end of it all, we'll create a piece of work that will be telling the stories of those older people. It's really an excuse to go ring up, ring up old ladies and ask. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds lovely. Again, it's an indication of just how many, how, how important theatres are. They're not just theatres, they're part of the community. You know, I want to think that the Oxford Playhouse isn't just for, you know, visit once a year to see the panto. It is an integral part of Oxford life. And again, our response from the theatre, from the audience and their support would, would suggest that they think that too, actually. And I suppose these programmes are hopefully going to continue post-lockdown and into other areas as well? Yeah, they are. I think Tea Talks, we're going to sort of expand that nationally because it's, it's, it's gone down really well. And certainly um, our charity partners think it's great. I mean, the funny thing is, of course, that in one way you could go every every cloud and that, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, actually by moving online, moving all these programmes online, we've we're expanding our potential audience yeah you know we've got we've had people do writing workshops from america it's uh it's it's really it's interesting i mean ad- adapt or die i guess that's what we will do we know that you have appointed amantha edmead as part of the freelance task force can you tell us a bit about what that is and what she'll be doing with the playhouse um, I don't know yet. It's a short answer. Uh, I think they've had one, the first meeting of the task force last week. It was a brilliant idea. So Fuel Theatre, who's run by, which is run by Kate McGarr and has lots of brilliant ideas regularly. They're a wonderful producing company. Uh, they decided to get this together and they have asked 200 theatres up and down the country 
to sponsor a freelancer who regularly works with them. And of course, we recently worked with Amantha on her wonderful production of Soul, the one-woman show that we took to Edinburgh last year. Stunning, stunning piece of work. And um, she's a freelance, well, you know, freelance actor and, 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 and writer and director. And so we suggested that she was our uh, freelancer. And the task force is very, it's, it's a very loose model really it's the commitment from the playhouse is we will pay uh, amantha to work for us for a certain number of days and amantha will do something that uh feeds into supporting the creative industries in in oxfordshire and it's it's sort of as basic as that i know as as a national group they've all as i say they've all met on zoom once and then I think they've gone away to think about how what that what that will look like. It's basically an, a national network of theatres saying, "We value freelancers. We want to support you. We want to give you a little bit of work. We want to support you, and we will support you to do exactly what you want to do." That's fantastic. Mm. And I know that OTM is very open to helping Amantha or just being here and supporting. So we're very excited about that, just to see what's going to come out of it. Yeah, I'm quite sure she'll come up with something great. I haven't spoken to her directly. She's actually also taking part in this um, fundraiser on uh, on Wednesday we're doing, which will be in the past by the time you show this, I know. So Amantha's going to be in the show on, on, on the stage on uh, on Wednesday. I mean, the ta- the task force is just one way. I mean, you know, it's been such a febrile few weeks, hasn't it? The mm. task force is one way that I think the whole industry, if not the whole world, is looking at itself. And if if nothing good comes out of coronavirus, it will be that there has been uh, a lot of reflection and time for reflection, and a lot of, of you know, we've all been we've all come up a bit short yeah nobody wants to go back to exactly how it was and so the task force is one way of saying as an industry we know we have really structural issues to look at about who we employ and how we employ them and Mm. what the, the 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 opportunities are and and how and how how we need to uh democratize and rationalize those opportunities so they really are available for everybody. Yeah, and I've I've seen a few things um, on Twitter about the task force and a few people who are who are part of that talking about neurodiversity in the theatre industry. And you know they've been putting out a like series of questions and and just trying to get a lot of us together to kind of find a new way of working that's going to be a bit more inclusive to everyone. So that's really exciting. Uh, one aspect of what could come out of this. Mm, absolutely. Is there anything that you think theatre makers could do to help get the public confidence back about going back to theatres when they reopen? Hmm. I don't think that's the theatre maker's job, actually. I think that's, that's, that's people like me's job. Everything is a calculated risk, everything. Mm. So, so what we have to do is persuade and, and, and be persuaded ourselves that the the risk factor for coming back to theatres it is as low as it can possibly be and that we are doing everything we can as an organization to make that so and communicating that you know one of the reasons why i'm doing so much media stuff at the moment is to say that the oxford playhouse is 
doing everything we can. You know, we, I was on telly last week with um, an industrial disinfecting machine. It was a bit like, it's a bit like Ghostbusters. And, uh, <laughs> and it's, uh, it's, a, it's a painted, it's nanotechnology. It's a painted machine that actually delivers um, disinfectant that will last for up to 10 days. It's a slow release. Mm. And it's patented to, we know it kills COVID. And so if you, you know, they actually, they're using it in the um, air, air industry and on, on planes. But if you actually, you know, can say to a theatre audience, well, every week we're disinfecting this area and we know there's no coronavirus because it cannot exist because we're doing this every week, um, then that's, that, that must help to reassure them, I hope. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I think what the most important thing theatre makers need to do right now is to keep theatre front and forward, right in the middle of the public debate about what really matters to us and what we want to see survive this. If we let the government forget the cultural industries, then they will be very happy to do so. Sorry, sorry to be such a cynic, cynic Chantal, but I'm afraid that's true. What we need to do now is, is keep banging the drum, keep saying, look, this is serious and this is important. And actually, your constituents think so, which they do. Yeah, I've written to the MP. I've... <laughs> you put stuff on Twitter. <laughs> you kind of feel like you're running out of things that you can do, but you've got to keep at it. You know, we do. I mean, I, you know, I, I have to because I've got 130 people's jobs to save. But, you know, we all have to because we've got a major part of the cultural heritage of this country to save. You know, theatre is such a success story. Financially, we're a success story. We we contribute so much more money in taxes, in VAT and everything else than we cost the country. We have, It's a £100, £103 billion uh, sector that exports huge amounts of business to uh, other countries and it, it's we're a, it's a really a real success story not just because it's a nice fluffy thing to do but because it makes money and it employs people and it it's it is part of our cultural heritage and as you know as lovely judy dench said on telly the other day if the theater's closed now we will not they will not be open again for a long long time this theatre network that we have, the infrastructure that we have, has taken 100 years to build. And it will take many, many, many years to rebuild if we let it go. A delicate machine, it's good. It's all interdependent. As, as I said before, the producers work with venues, venues work with artists. It's all interdependent. We can't all go back to work piecemeal. We can't, one bit of it can, can't work, operate without the other bit of it. So therefore, we have to have a national strategy for the reopening of the theatres. That involves dates that have, you know, so we know roughly when we're, what we, we, we know, even if we don't know when we can open, we know what we can't open until. That's what is the not before date that is the most important thing at the moment. And then we need long term financial support because the Oxford Playhouse sells 70% of its seats and we earn 87% of our income. And we don't expect to be doing that for some time because there will be some people who are you know, loyal and desperate to get back to seat in theatre and are prepared to take the risk. 
but there won't be many of them, and therefore we will not be reaching the same level of income and the same level of sales pre-COVID for some time. So the theatres will need support. We will have gaps in the programme. Some of those producers that we work with regularly will not survive. What other help do you think theatres need from the government? Well, the UK Theatre, which is the industry body, they have put a very comprehensive and clear proposal of measures that government through the DCMS can take. It involves an extension of the furloughing scheme so that uh, we don't have to make people redundant because we won't, we can't, it's not like switching a light on, you know, when, you know, we can't just, they can't just give us a nod and we just open the theatres tomorrow. We we need shows to put, to, to, sh- to have to put on. So we need to find them again. All that programme's gone, you know. So we need the furloughing scheme extended. We need more help with tax, re- theatre tax relief and the VAT and we need long-term financial support, both for the subsidised sector and the commercial sector, because, of course, those commercial producers will only be able to make the shows that then make the billions that they do around the world if they are they have the initial investment from Theatre Angels. And we're not expecting those Theatre Angels to have the same level of financial security or financial confidence that they had pre-crisis so therefore the the government needs to step in as an investor in some of those commercial produce companies so that they those productions that that employ thousands and thousands of people and make billions of pounds uh, you know potentially those productions need to get back and you know the theater the government invests as a on a commercial basis potentially they'll make the profits that so many people who have invested in Les Mis and Mamma Mia. I mean, wouldn't we have all liked to have had a tenor in Mamma Mia? That would have been new. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that, that's what the proposal is, is. We've had no response from that proposal. Now, I, there, is, there are whispers of uh, a response in, in the shape of a sector deal coming soon but only whispers meanwhile the arts council had set itself a deadline for decisions on their emergency funding packages we all made applications in in early in early may and the deadline for those decisions was the uh, 30th of june and that deadline has come and gone and we haven't yet, with the, the national portfolio organisations, the most regularly funded organisations in the country, still don't know what, what the emergency funding uh, decisions have been made. I don't want to sound too gloomy, <laughs> but um, that, that's where we're at. Yeah, it's important that we as theatre makers are aware of the whole situation. And it's much wider and, and the implications for the decline in the theatre industry and, and the knock-on effects that will happen throughout the community. It's incredibly important for us to be aware of that and the the government is aware of that. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the Oxford Playhouse, we have a turnover of about £1.5 million a year. But think about how much more we contribute to the, the economy of Oxford. So all those people who come and want to come and see a woman in black, say, 
they most of them you know they come in they have a, a they have a pizza or even just uh, a couple of drinks at the white rabbit they uh, they take the bus or the train they then go and have another couple of drinks after the show to have a, t- a talk, talk about the deep and meaningful plot of women in black it's a major driver of every city's economy and without the nighttime economy as we uh, we so euphemistically call it then our city centres will die. And it's as simple as that. It's not, it's not a whole lot. You know, what we've got to resist as an industry and, you know, as a, as a group of people is we've got to resist this idea that it's just a load of fluffy lovies uh, worried about their next, their next audition. It's absolutely not. This is, you know, I have 55 full-time staff. It's their children's meals and their mortgages. And and every single one of those people has families and hopes and dreams and all those things that we we are currently threatening. Yeah. What we need is short term support. Someone else far cleverer than me said it's not a hand out, it's a hand up. We just need temporary support to hold things together. You know, other countries see this. In France, they've they've uh, announced um, a support scheme for all artists, not just theatre, all artists, with a regular payment, a regular wage, through to the summer of 2022, because they know that all the things that make it possible to be an artist rely on there being economic stability. Basically, if you buy a book, a theatre ticket, or a painting that money is being is coming from disposable income. So if people are worried about their jobs, then that disposable income goes down. But 2022, it's not far, you know. Think how much money, as a nation, we paid to bail out the bankers. Yeah. How many <laughs> I wish I had that figure in my head, but I, I, I've, I've expunged that particular uh, but that only fraction of that money would mean that we could ensure the the sustainability of our entire creative industries. Have you been inspired by any other theatre professionals in the last few months? Oh goodness, so many. Uh, I think the Arts Council and UK Theatre have played a good game. Actually, I think they've been really strong advocates. Kwame um, Kweyama is the most is incredibly articulate and has really, you know, said what's needed. I thought yeah. Judy Dench on Channel Four the other day was was inspirational. You know, well, there's a lot of people who are doing good work. I think the old Vic and what they've done with with um, putting lungs online and um, uh, goodness, the balls it takes to charge eighty quid for uh, uh, <laughs> well done them. I don't think <laughs> I, I, I did not have that level of z- of uh, iron in my soul. There's lots of people doing, but the real heroes. Sound to sound quite sort of hallmarky, but the real heroes at the moment are are not the people who are putting on shows on Zoom. They're the wonderful though that is, and Creation Theatre led the way, didn't they? They were the ones that really mm. kicked it all up. I have to say, did a brilliant job. There are there are participation teams. There are workshop leaders. There are yeah. there are people who are still uh, delivering all those youth theatre sessions online. That's they're the people I think who are 
are keeping creativity of the nation alive, actually. Absolutely. And and next generation of artists and creatives and crew as well. It's about keeping that fire going. It's time now for our play of the week. Each week, we'll be asking a previous guest to tell us about a play in under 90 seconds. This week's play of the week comes from Tristan Jackson-Pate. It's Tristan here. I am not going to recommend the most original idea for a play, but I think I will recommend the one that first came to me when you asked me to suggest one. A really individual theatrical experience. It's Mike Bartlett's play Cock, which I saw upstairs at the Royal Court in early 2010s. It was just a stunning, fresh, original piece of writing that had such rhythm and pace and the performances were just so electric. It was an amazing trio of Ben Whishaw, Catherine Parkinson and Andrew Scott. It was um, sums up everything I love about Mike Bartlett with Oxford Roots. He just has such a way with dialogue and such a deep understanding of character and situation. I think there's something amazingly theatrical about conjuring a situation where the dialogue at the end of the play is as simple as somebody asking their partner if he's going to come in and bring in the cushions and turn out the lights. The cushions and the lights. Cushions and lights. (laughs) And uh, that that dialogue holds so much weight behind it and just a brilliant theatrical moment i'll never forget that image of andrew scott and ben Whishaw. it's got four actors in it you could read it in an hour good reading enjoy do you have a favorite part of the oxford playhouse goodness that's a good a good one um (laughs) (laughs) not necessarily where the public go to could be your office (laughs) it's really not my office (laughs) (laughs) i assure you it is not my office (laughs) i i love the lucy room yeah which is our so basically when i arrived um nearly nearly six years ago unbelievably uh, there was a boardroom and there was a great enormous board table in it and it meant that we couldn't walk in. You had to you know, like skirt around the edges of the room. And so we, um, I managed to persuade someone to give us some money. Lovely Lucy's the engineering company gave us a huge amount of money to refurbish the whole room. Uh, we gave the board table to the Story Museum and um because they've got a lot more space than we have and um we made it into a members bar and you know take the girl out of soho we can't take soho out of the girl and we use it all the time i mean all the time we we have meetings in there all the time we hire it out we have receptions we have parties it's it's a really live living space i love that I had to go into the theatre on Friday and um, uh, I went backstage via the bus. Obviously, we went through the backstage door and I'd not seen the theatre for quite some time. And as most of you will know, uh, we've got lots of lovely, colourful seats at the theatre at my house and it, it does look rather lovely. And I was standing on the stage and it it was just so nice to see it. We've missed it. Now, I mean, you know, I'm not saying I, I you know, I have a fond spot for, for soft furnishings. They are only seats. <laughs> it's, it's lovely to see it. 
Peters are like families and and um, that building is like a home. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if you know this, Craig. I usher at the Playhouse and uh, I absolutely love going into the auditorium when it's empty and we have our usher meet up before the show starts and sometimes there's people on stage warming up or, or there's crew running around and sometimes it's completely empty and just to see the the sea of seats and just feel that kind of energy and uh, kind of building up is really uh, special yeah you know that line from well, that ken tynan supposedly wrote i could not love someone who doesn't love this play and I feel like that about people who come into the theatre for the first time. If people walk into the Oxford Playhouse, see those seats and don't actually automatically smile, I think, miserable bugger. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know you're know, you not expecting, you're not expecting like a, a, a love loads of jewel-coloured seating. You walk in and see it and most people smile. Where can people go to keep up to date with all things Oxford Playhouse? Oxfordplayhouse.com. And where can they donate? Oxfordplayhouse.com. I mean, as I say, the campaign has been extraordinary because people care. They want to see this theatre survive. They want to see all theatres survive. That's the point. I'm, you know, I'm here banging the drum, not just for the Playhouse, but for every theatre in Oxfordshire and every theatre because of what we do. We're part of the, every, every town and city's community and, and um, we deserve to be saved, as it were. People can donate money. They can just leave their, if they've got tickets that have been cancelled, if they just leave their money uh, as credit, we understand not everybody's got the disposable income, certainly right now, to be able to make big donations. But at least if they leave it as credit, it means that we've got that money in the bank just about to keep going. We're very fortunate. We've had some amazing support from 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 our audience. A lot of theatres uh, would be would give their hind teeth to have this kind of support. But um, the fact is that we, by because we don't know when we can reopen, we are uh, you know having to make really difficult decisions. As I say, like all theatres up and down the country, mm. it will mean that when we go back, it will be very different. And our capacity to do all this work in the community, and our capacity to work with us with twenty thousand young people a year, and all those things are are in doubt at this point. You know, it's rubbish given that we are actually so. You know, we've been so successful as an industry in being entrepreneurial, making us raise our income, all that. It's somewhat ironic. <laughs> yeah. It's the organisations that have a huge ratio of subsidy, you know, the free access for museums, say, that really entirely rely on grants, you know, mm. grants mm. for subsidy. They're the ones that are actually going to be able to get back Quick, as quick, more quickly than any of us. The, there's uh, assumptions, I think, um, about theatre, the theatre industry in particular, and this assumption that we all have independent means, that we can just survive and we'll just get back to it later. Well, I certainly don't have independent means and, you know, I'm very lucky to have a part-time job, which is keeping me going. But, I mean, I don't have independent means by any standards. The, the, the long-term effect of this crisis is going to be a reduction of opportunity. Mm. Yeah. And so, you know, we've spent, as an industry, we've spent so many years now trying to ensure that you didn't have to have independent means, that you didn't have to be rich, that we were open for everyone, that we, you know, that you people were, you know, internships have been paid, so you didn't have to just rely on mum and dad, that 
there was an opportunity there was a an equality of opportunity there and what we're looking at is that potentially all that headway that was made for with equality and diversity in this industry is about to be washed away. And it's happening across the arts as well. I mean, just think about music and and people go on about um, uh, classical music in particular being very elitist. And it's like, uh, it is and it isn't, but uh, musical instruments cost money and it, and and trying to make those freely available to everyone, that everyone gets a chance to learn an instrument or, or play and sing and yeah. And that's gonna it's gonna completely destroy all those yeah. yeah. Anyway. End on a happy note. Um <laughs> Well Louise, we're we're very grateful that you've joined yeah, us today because we you. know you're a very busy person. So thank you very much. Absolute pleasure. Lovely to to talk to you. I don't want to finish on doom and gloom. No. The Oxford Playhouse will survive, theatre will survive, it won't look the same. But I um I I found the programme the other day of the very first show of the playhouse in the playhouse when it reopened in 92 oh, wow. it was a called um over the moon or open the moon or something like that and uh tish will know obviously and the staff list on the oxford play of the oxford playhouse in that program is 14 people two of which wow. are part-time i happen to know now i'm not saying that's perfect i'm not saying i want to be you know, sitting in the box office and washing the floors and everything else. But if we have to go back to being smaller, smaller is better than gone, mm. and yeah. we will do it. But it is at a cost, and the cost is the capacity we have to be inclusive, diverse, and inspirational. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Louise. Thank you. Thank you very much to our guest, Louise Chantel from the Oxford Playhouse. Next week, we'll be chatting to Lizzie McBain and Jeremy Allen. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review and subscribe. And you can find us on Twitter at Makers, Instagram Theatre, Facebook Makers, and our email is Makers events at gmail.com.